The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time. Um, This is John McAndrew again. I think you're all getting pretty used to me co-hosting when Mary is busy and uh, when our schedule's Fit. And today's, today's program, the, the title, which is the title of our guest book, is Living Well with Chronic Illness, a Practical and Spiritual Guide with guest Richard Chu. And I want to tell you a little bit about Richard as an author. Of course, he has this book. He's an ordained deacon, a hospital chaplain in the Archdiocese of New York. Uh, he's a stress management consultant, caregiver, and he provides pastoral counseling at Bellevue Hospital and uh, other facilities in New York. And he has several degrees, which I find very interesting to combine with this pastoral care. He's studied embryology, uh, biology, endocrinology at places like uh, Stanford and uh, Kellogg Graduate School of Management at Northwestern University, also studied endocrinology at the University of Oregon. And his his book, I think, combines a lot of what he's learned, of course, academically, but he also has a very personal uh, piece in all of this. And uh, Richard, we want to welcome you to our show. Westbridge welcomes you one hour at a time. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on your show. You know, the precursor to this, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, you talk about the perfect storm in health care, but... According to the National Health Council, incurable and ongoing chronic disease affects approximately 133 million Americans. And I have a feeling that's going up as we talk. And you're going to tell us a little bit today about how to enjoy a better quality of life and the different ways and paths to do that. So welcome. Well, thank you very much. Um, I want to ask you, first of all, kind of what inspired you to write this book. I have read it. I, I, uh, I kind of know the answer, but I'd like for you to share this with our listeners. Oh, sure. There are two uh, events that um, triggered me to write the book, uh, plus mm-hmm. my experience as an EMT and a chaplain. Uh, the first one was uh, several, many, a couple decades ago. Uh, our oldest son and his wife uh, had just moved to California uh, for um, their first major, you know, uh, jobs, management jobs. She was pregnant. She delivered soon after they arrived. They had not yet joined a church, a parish, um, and they knew they had to take the baby to daycare. Uh-huh. So they said, let's do a trial run. They took, she took the baby to a daycare at 9, and when she came home at, back at noon, the baby was dead from SID, sudden infant death syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that was such a crisis. Their 
you know, we're in New Jersey, they're in California. Suddenly I fly out to California and become an untrained family counselor. Uh, the mother's um, pastor flew off from Indiana. He and I uh, conducted the funeral service. He left, and the next day I conducted the burial service based on uh, information faxed to me from my parish. When I got home to my parish in New Jersey, the pastor said, you know, what you've been doing out in California for your family is what deacons do in the Catholic Church. I want to sponsor you to become a a deacon. You had to be sponsored into the program, which is four years of uh, training after work. I drove a 110-mile round trip each night for class um, and then got ordained. And deacons in the Catholic Church are ordained to serve all of people in need, not just Catholics. So it was natural with my medical background uh, to become a hospital chaplain. That was event number one. Right, that's a big event. <laughs> yes, it's and pretty uh, quick, isn't it? Yeah, life changing in the blink of an eye. Yeah, know. wow. And the second event was uh, ten years ago. Um, I observed my wife having neurological symptoms of a probably a disease, and it turned out to be a progressive neurological disease. I'm in my tenth year of caring for her. Uh, day by day, um, and uh, it's uh, all, you know, every day of the week. And so I do the, we now have a live-in nursing assistant, um, and I, she does 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. plus a 15-minute spot at midnight. I do midnight to 8 a.m. every day before I go to work. Um, and I get up once, twice, three times a night to care for my wife, and then on the weekends, uh, it's me. So um, I'm very intimately familiar with uh, chronic illness. Yes. And the time that it takes to, uh, well, you know, your life changed drastically in both of those incidences, right? Yes, correct. Um, Did you feel that this was something you may have been prepared for? I know some people say there aren't any coincidences and... uh, you know, were, were uh, you overwhelmed yourself at, at any of these times with these two instances? The truth is no. Um, you know, um, many decades ago, I was an intern in the space program as a biology intern. Uh, and then I was a captain in the fire department for several decades. I was EMT on the street for 12 years, you know, boots wow. on the ground. Uh, I probably treated 3,000 or more patients as an EMT. I've seen that an equal number in the hospital as a chaplain. Uh, you just do what needs to be done. Yeah. It's, not, it's not an emotional event to say, I'm trained to do this. Uh, let's get to work and get it done. And that's, yeah. and that's how uh, people ask me. It's, it's not an emotional experience. Uh, I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning because my alarm goes off. I just go over and take care of my wife. It's not, a, uh, it's, it's not an issue. Right. And how, how did your... Let's take the second incident. That the first one brings you in to be a deacon in the church. Yes. Which sort of leads this path, and we're going to talk about that a little later. How do we develop our own spiritual paths? You know, what are the tools? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that was useful. But the second one, how was your role um, working, caring for your wife, which is very intensive, very time-consuming, physical, emotional, how did that influence the writing of this book, Living Well with Chronic Illness? Well, what I have, I have an advantage over most caregivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I come from the medical field. I know the terminology, and my specialty as a neurophysiologist is the nervous system. 
that's what I used to teach the medical and you know, nursing students was the normal function of the nervous system. Right. And so then having knowing what is normal, hopefully the medical students and nursing students when they're into the hospitals will remember something of what we taught them. Um, so my awareness of the nervous system is greater than, say, of some other system in the body, the digestive system or something. So that made it possible for me to see the signs of her symptoms of her disease before anybody else saw it. And then I referred it to those who are the professionals. We who teach the first two years are professors. Those who teach the last two years of medical schools are MDs, medical doctors, because they're right. trying to teach students how to correct things. We teach them as professors what is normal. So, But I know and can communicate to the doctors every time she goes to an appointment with a doctor, I prepare a, a memo in medical terms, very concise, but it tells them since you last saw my wife, this is what's happening. Here are the questions we'd like to answer. Yeah. So it's my ability to communicate with the medical profession makes it much easier because then they respond to me very yeah. carefully. This is where we try to get the caretaker in the book to become, if she, a caretaker reads the book, they understand they have to learn, you know, what's going on with the patient. And we hope the patient will become very knowledgeable and take a lead in responsibility for her own health care. Yeah. And I'm sure, Richard, this would be a question. Uh, people who don't have the, all the language and the knowledge that you do of the medical part, of you know, knowledge of the illnesses mm -hmm. and how to correct it, they got the human being part down. Mike, one, one question for you is, when does that human being part of you kind of take over the doctor and the professor when you're sitting there and you're working. And I know a lot of your book touches on this, but the emotional part of it, the stress, all those things. Is this part of what uh, inspired you to write the book as well? Yeah, because I know that when I deal with patients, we have to deal with the quality of life issues. Mm -hmm. But I know very well that that's something the patient needs to be responsible for. And when the patient takes responsibility for their own health care, their quality of life, which involves the mental health, the physical health, and the spirituality, that's something they can deal with and it makes it possible to, for the medical side to do their job. It's, they're two partners, and quite often the patient doesn't realize they're in a partnership. You know, becoming a patient is very dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. You begin to feel like you're a puppet. And strange hands you can't see are making you move, and uh, pretty soon you, you begin to feel out of control. You're nothing. What the book is trying to do is show them in simple ways to regain control over your health care, especially the mental, the physical, and the spiritual. Mm -hmm. Well, you have certainly been uh, given all the tools, or as some people say, all the different uniforms to really focus on this in a, in a very powerful way and your book starts with a story of a midwestern couple joan and jack who have gone to new york uh and you can give more of the details they're basically kind of getting ready to retire i think they work real hard they, they want to go have this trip and uh see a play and ride the subways 
And, and Joan gets ill. Tell us the rest of that story and how this really opens the book. She came into, the, uh, I was doing my rounds in the hospital ER, the emergency department, and um, I walk by, and I can tell by people's eyes whether they want to talk to me. And for some reason, I came by this couple, and they seemed so relaxed sitting in the ER. Mm-hmm. I said, hi, can I say hello? They said, sure. And they very easily gave me their story. And as they're talking to me, telling me the details of how they waited so long to plan this trip to New York City, in comes this, strolls this brusque doctor who brushes past me, ignores the fact we're having a conversation, and says to the, the uh, woman, Joan, sorry to tell you, uh, you have cancer spreading throughout your body. Someone from oncology will be down to see you. And wow. then she turns around and says, excuse me, we're having a conversation. She says, oh, uh, I'm sorry, interrupted, and walked out. That... That, that is not the first time I've seen that happen. And that lack of bedside manners, of you know, any sympathy uh, for what is going on, uh, I don't care how busy the doctor is, you should take time to understand the impact of your, your opinions, your comments. And right. so that, at that point, Jack and Joan withdrew from me. As I say, it's like the drawbridge was pulled up. I'm on left on outside the castle. And that's a great trying. analogy. I, it, you know, that's very powerful. Oh, is it really? Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's what happened. And after that, I came to see them. We prayed together, but uh, they were now, they didn't, they're very polite. They're just nice people, but they're now planning to get home and do all the things that uh, associate with doing some yeah. treatment, you know. Thank you. We've been talking with Richard Chu, and we're talking about his book. Living Well with Chronic Illness, A Practical and Spiritual Guide. We've, we've covered some good ground here uh, with Richard's background, his inspiration uh, for the book. And the book starts with this story of, of Joan and Jack. And when we come back, we're going to continue. And we're going to talk about how you take control of sort of the anger, the shock, the stress, the grief of, uh, the grief of being told, you know, you have a, a chronic illness. This is one hour at a time. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Why do people behave the way they do? The study of human behavior is one of the most interesting facets of life. Human behavior gets played out in a limitless number of ways. Now, there's a radio program that explains the why and the how of what we do. Human Behavior, What a Trip, is hosted by Dr. Jonathan Brower and will include interesting guests as well as call interaction from people like you. Let's have fun with this together. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you figured out what's not working in your sex life? Could you use a little help? 
Join your host, Tamaran, for Let's Figure It Out Intimately. Tamaran has had both highs and lows in her sex life. She uses her experiences to teach you some basic techniques on how to create more fun, intimacy, and pleasure. Her guests also come from the sexual health and wellness industry. And together, Tamaran and her guests will help you get the sex life you've always longed for. Let's figure it out intimately. Airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. We, uh, we've been speaking with Richard Chu and about his book, Living Well with Chronic Illness. And uh, we were talking during the break that Richard is a, has several degrees in several areas and fields of academics as well as being a, a deacon and a spiritual, uh, providing pastoral counseling. He's been an EMT, a fireman. He wears more hats than anyone I can think of at this moment. And I think all of these hats have really provided for a beautiful book. And, and uh, we've talked about who Richard was and his inspiration. And we left with Joan and Jack, which is another true story. The two Midwesterners who came to New York, uh, they're in their hospital room, being very Midwestern, <laughs> happy and <laughs> easygoing. And the doctor barges in, and I think many of our listeners have experienced this, with just the bad news, like being run over by a truck almost. And you came in to see them, and you talked about the drawbridge pulling up and them going back inside, which is where they changed. And I think that's where I'd like to pick up. In Chapter 2, you talk about taking control of this situation and how it just can be so overwhelming. So what happened with Joan and Jack after they I, they drew their drawbridge up, and I, I came you back. Get them out? No. I came back a little later. They're mm-hmm. very polite. Uh, we prayed together, uh, and then in a couple hours, when I made my third round through the ER, uh, they were gone. Uh, but clearly, the second time around, they're just being, as you said, Midwesterners, very polite. And we prayed together, but they were communicating between themselves about how they're going to handle this uh, tragic event. Um, and uh, because what diagnosis leads to is the release of a, a multitude of negative emotions uh, which can uh, immobilize the patient from moving forward because they just become overwhelmed. And some of these emotions are? Uh, well, you have the shock of the, um, of the diagnosis, fear, anxiety, anger, despair, and grief, perhaps the last, is uh, so po- they're so powerful. I think fear, anger, and grief are among the most powerful negative emotions that uh, are just released at the time of diagnosis. Patient after patient says, yes, uh, what you've said in the book, that's exactly how I felt. Uh, fear is primarily a fear of change. Uh, the anger uh, comes involved in the grieving process. 
And the grief here is so different from grieving from someone you have lost, you know, a loved one, uh, a spouse, a friend, uh, um, whatever. In this case, the person you're grieving for is yourself. And that's really hard to get over. Because immediately, when that diagnosis comes, the grief kicks in, and you look backwards on your life that existed before that diagnosis. And you think about all the things you have just lost. The vacation you planned, such as Joan and Jack. Uh, that retirement that you had been working on for so long. The marriage of a, of a child, a graduation not being able to hold your first grandchild. All these things just flash through your life, before your eyes, and you focus on the loss. So there's a uh, process that I talk about, I've used with patients, to get through the grieving process. I call it SARA. I use the acronym S-A-R-A. Uh-huh. And, and the first one is the shock. How could this possibly happen? Yeah, why me? Why me? You know, yeah. I've been, I've been, uh, uh, I've gone to church every every day. I've gone to church every Sunday, or I, you know, whatever. I've been a very good person. Um, yeah. And then the shock is followed by anger. Yeah, anger is so expressed. If someone is religious, quite often it's directed at their God. Why this did God do this? This isn't fair. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And then comes the resistance, the denial. We the final step is acceptance. What I've found is that grief does not go away. We don't forget the grandchild we lost years ago, but we accept it and move on in our life. And when you can do that, go through the four stages of Sarah, okay. the grief becomes controllable. Okay, it happened. But life needs to go on because there are many things I need to do. However you decide what motivates you. In memory of the lost person, for whatever reason, you promise to get something done. It's, you've got to get to the acceptance level. That's very important. When is the time that you, when you work with people, Richard, when do you uh, come in and present uh, Sarah to the patients to help them kind of go through? They must be grieving terribly at this point. And I want to read one paragraph before you answer this question because it's very powerful when I read the book. It's about Joan and Jack again, you know, and I have them so planted in my head right now. It says here, it's no wonder that Joan and Jack held on to each other for dear life when Joan received the news that she had a cancer that would most likely be terminal. Faced with undeniable odds against our immortality, we instinctively do what our ancestors did thousands of years ago. We draw together for protection against a hostile universe. And it's very powerful. And you said, you know, they pull their bridge up and to the moat and protect themselves. So how do you come in and when you see them in that mode and, and now you want to present some solutions and tools for them? Well... There is no set pattern. Okay. I had two wonderful hospital chaplain mentors, and they both taught me in different ways to see the world through the eyes of the patient. So I leave, you leave your ego back in the cloakroom, you hang it up on the hook, okay. and you walk in, and of course, I have the advantage of being able to see the charts if I need to, and I kind of know what the disease process is, but that's only in case... 
I get an answer that's so far from the disease, and we have to understand what's going on. But I'm trying to get them to tell me what they're going through right now. So quite often I ask them to, I said, oh, um, you're retired now. What did you do before? I try to get them to tell me their life stories, even a little bit. Start to open up because everyone, all of us, like to tell our life stories. And if you get the conversation rolling from their perspective, uh, they start to share with you and they give you hints as to what's going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, like the artist who said uh, eventually to me, uh, I want to die because I'm no longer an artist. <laughs> she had beautiful other skills that she could use. She could now teach people, but she just convinced herself that the one sign she was hanging on her chest uh, was the only one she could wear. Right. In reality, when I talked to her, there were several others I could suggest, but she was resistant because that's the only thing I am. So you have to find out where the patient is coming from. And the best place is their life story. Uh-huh. And talking, isn't it? I, again, so many guests tell us here on the show, talking is one of the, it's just a very powerful thing when you talk to another human being, isn't it? Yes, it is. I, that just, nothing beats this process. I don't know exactly. We can call it a lot of things. But again, this rises up. So the bridge comes down. They allow you in. And then yes. you get to help them reframe this terrible situation into what do I do now, basically, right? And yes, and there's a technique I'd like to share with your audience. Oh, I okay. think I just wrote an article about this, about the caregiver, what the caregiver can do. Learn how to be an active listener. Active ah. listening is a specific technique in which you focus on what the person's saying the meaning, not necessarily the words, and you reflect that back to the person say, you know, I think you're saying this, and the person's encouraged to continue because they actually have someone listening. You know, you go and I go to a, a, a meeting or a cocktail party or something, and people talk past each other. They're so anxious yep. to tell each other's story. Active listening, you actually listen to the person and reflect back what you think they're saying in terms of meaning, and this way you can get deeper and deeper and deeper into their concerns and issues. That's, that's the technique I use. Active listening. It's very powerful. I have read some books about old Buddhist teachings which say that very thing. Mm-hmm. One of the most loving things you can do is to be a passionate, active listener. And uh, So those of us that don't know how to do that... <laughs> <laughs> it, you can look it up on the website. It, okay, I mean, what is the website? I mean, any place. If you just Google active listening. Okay, active listening. There are listen. simple little, there, you know, yes, those of us who have been trained for it, I think we spent six months in training, but uh, in, in the Deacon's program on active listening, it was one of the criteria for being accepted into the program. You had to pass this course. I forget how long it was. It was months long. And, uh, you learn how to do it. But anyone can go onto the website, and there's some simple instructions. You don't have to be an expert. You simply have to want to hear what the other person's saying. That's all. Okay. A very mm-hmm. good tool for those of our listeners that are caregivers. So yes, you begin yes. the process. What is this you wrote about facing our mortality, right? Yes, and that I did. fear mm-hmm. and all. There's some powerful things. So you've... In the act of active listening, we've, you know, the people are comfortable. They know that we, I think listening could also 
be correlated with they probably feel you care about them, love Absolutely. them? Absolutely. They're correlated directly. Yep. So now we can talk about the really scary stuff now that we're down in there. And is dying one of those scary things? Uh, dying and death, two separate issues. I've had patients say to me, I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of the dying process. Right. And then you deal with it, and quite often it's loss or fear of nothing. And quite often it's the fear of pain. Um, and if people are into palliative care, uh, which means not curing something but providing comfort, and palliative is not dying, it's not the hospice process. The hospice is the end of, of uh, palliative care. But palliative care is so seldom talked about by the medical profession because it's providing comfort for the patient and the family. If you're in pain, they take care of the pain. If you know these other things, so that is very important for people to understand the difference between palliative and curative care. Uh huh. And Richard, what happens? And you have the experience in this. Um, part of your process of you know the shock, anger, resistance, acceptance. Um, somewhere in in the resistance and acceptance parts, there's this. You know, I mean, they're all called stages of grieving, but. What happens if we don't grieve, or is that like not accepting the truth of what's going on, and what happens if we don't grieve? If we don't get to the acceptance level, we stay with the resistance and the anger, uh, and we can't make any changes, because we keep it festers in our mind what has happened that we don't like, and we're angry about it. Mm-hmm. If we can get to the point of acceptance, then you're moving toward what I consider the goals of the book, a calm mind and a peaceful heart. Because once we get to the acceptance and get rid of the anger and the shock and the resistance, okay, all you have to say as a patient is, I want to get better. That's the, that's the trigger. It says, means I want to get better. It means I want to go forward. I'm looking forward at the future and not back at what I lost. So that one sentence saying, I want to get better is the trigger, and we move past all the other stuff. That's very powerful. We're talking with Richard Chu about his book, Living Well with Chronic Illness, and uh, as Richard just said about grieving, and uh, the question was, what happens when we don't? Well, we need to do that to get past and then really get into the the meat of what this book is about, and when we, we return here to one hour at a time, we're going to talk about the things we're trying to reclaim. Uh, We'll be right back. This is one hour at a time. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Wow! 
No matter what our age is, health deserves our utmost attention. But how do you achieve optimal wellness? Tune in to Ask Lorna Live. Your host, Lorna Vanderhaeg, will provide research-backed solutions that will have you feeling fit and fabulous. It all comes down to hormones. We'll show you how it works with mainstream medicine along with nutritional medicine. Listen for Ask Lorna Live every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Better communication means better relationships in every sense of the word. When you communicate more effectively and interact more effectively, your life is lived more effectively. Tune in to Talk Time with Trish, featuring host Trish Ferrante and co-host Lisa Stewart. Our program is all about the human element. We are all comprised of parts and stuff that we may be aware of or others may be aware of. When we become aware of what others are aware of, it means more to us. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. We've been talking with Richard Chu, and I want to spell that for our listeners. It's C-H-E-U, as in chew your food, young man. And uh, also the website is www.chroniclivingwell.com, and you can get information there, where to buy the book. The book is available all over, and it's pretty much just coming out, so we're really lucky to get an advanced copy of it. And uh, I think caregivers and family members and just about anyone will find some really simple tools in here. There's worksheets that we'll get to. We've already learned about active listening. Uh, it's a very, uh, it's just a really good, simple book with a lot of powerful information in it. That's about all I can say. And Richard, before we get into which you said in the last segment, sort of what the intent of this book was. We've talked about Joan and Jack, the Midwestern couple, and they find out Joan has cancer, and we get through these stages of grief. And you have another personal story to share with us, and I think these are so relatable to all of us, and if you might give us that little story. I think you're referring to Randy and Sharon? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, the book is about coping, coping with chronic illness and transforming yourself. Um, and we have one story with, the story talks about these two real people and how they coped with their chronic illness. And they didn't have a lot of time to live. Uh, Randy Paulsch, um, who people can see his video, uh, the last lecture on YouTube, I guess it is. Yeah. Um, he, both of these people were young people in their uh, they were diagnosed with cancer in their 40s. Uh, I forget the exact age, but uh, she had cancer diagnosed earlier. She was in remission. Randy said, I've got young children. Um, he was a bright, brilliant professor at Carnegie Institute. Uh, he had everything going for him. I mean, he was famous. He was 
outgoing, and when he was given just a couple months, a few months to live, he said, I'm going to make the most of it. And the result was, he said, I want to bottle a message for my kids, put it in a bottle as this, so you're going to throw it in the sea. When they open it up, they'll know exactly who I am and what I want it for them. So his sharing his life, it didn't mean it wasn't sad, it wasn't tragic, but he really made something of his life in the short time he had, and has impacted millions of people around the world. Yeah. Sharon, also brilliant, very bright, number one in her class in high school, number one in college, and so on, and she's determined that she's always going to be the 5%er who's going to succeed. And she, when they discovered cancer, she said, I'm going to be the 5%er, and she's going to do all these things, and she wouldn't listen to the doctors when they said she was no longer in remission. She excluded her family. She's going to beat the system. Uh, she's not going to show pain. And when she died, she even refused to let her husband speak to her and hold her in her arms and tell her how much he was going to miss her. She was not going to deal with that. She was going to somehow win. And it left such a negative relationship. She wouldn't even let her husband tell her how much he loved her before she died because she wouldn't express that to him. And I think these two stories are very important for people. You can either cope with it and transform yourself and get do the best you can because everyone has incredible potential that has not been tapped yet. It's a chronic illness suddenly says, oh, I can't do that. And you suddenly open your eyes and said, Grandma was right. I've got all this potential I haven't used. And that's what Randy did. Sharon shut it off and unfortunately... Uh, it was very, very sad how she died and what she did to her family. Wow. Chapter 3, those are powerful examples. Uh, it's called Life is Change and Change is Good. And I want to read the little quote uh, that you chose to put in here. M. Scott Peck, who wrote uh, lots of good books, but this is a powerful statement here, and I think this leads into where we're heading. The truth is that our finest moments are most likely to occur when we are feeling deeply uncomfortable, unhappy, or unfulfilled, for it is only in such moments, propelled by our discomfort, that we are likely to step out of our ruts and start searching for different ways or truer answers. So what do we do now? You know, what do Joan and Jack do? I hope they went back. Uh, they're, they're good people. And... Um, that with the support of their friends, they could uh, overcome their negative um, emotions. I don't know what happened to them. You know, I don't. I didn't follow up with them because they left the system, and I, uh, you know, I don't follow people. That's very private. But if they could have gotten rid of their negative emotions, especially grieving, stop looking back at what you lost in the darkness. Turn around and look into the front, and there's this light that shows you. There are many opportunities for you, such as Randy Pulse took advantage of. Right. And to do that, you have to say that, recognize that we are changing and accept change. Um, and that becomes, I have to admit, uh, as I write in the book, it becomes harder with age and life experiences. When we're very young, we'll try anything. <laughs> we'll yeah. ski down a mountain that's you know, incredibly dangerous and uh, oh yep. well you know uh, but as we gain life experiences and with age we tend to become more conservative those of us who have been very fortunate to have good experiences continue to look to change as something that can be helpful not that we always want to be changing but we can say okay I'll, I'll listen and see what the benefits might be 
others who had negative experiences or had uh, been given an attitude toward change that change is bad uh, have a hard time accepting. And change allows you to move ahead and take advantage of what things people are suggesting. At least look at it and maybe even try it. Because as a chronic illness is not constant, it's constantly changing because the person's changing. And the result, quite often the treatment has to be different. A different system is affected. Now we have to treat that system. A system would be, you know, digestive or cardiovascular or muscular. But the, the disease moves around and it changes. And we need to stay with it and be open to new treatments, new interventions, and new ways of dealing with it, both on the quality of life side as well on the medical. Yeah. You talk about the influence of fear, and this is a big part of your book here, uh, and that change can be good for your health once you get over this hurdle of fear. So we have, you know, we've learned that the grieving process, you have to face it, and then you have to see what, how fear is influencing you physically and emotionally with this baggage. So now we get into some things that we can do, right? Right, right. Uh-huh. Now that we put the fear <laughs> fear into everybody. Yeah, now that we've gotten to the <laughs> scary part, <laughs> let's talk about chocolate right here. Yeah, right. <laughs> but this is important. The, what, the nature of fear, you talk about it. You know. Yeah, the nature of fear is something that you've got to go eyeball to eyeball with it. Whatever uh-huh. the negative emotion is, if we if we kind of dodge around, you know, the elephant in the room or the gorilla, whatever you want to call it, and imagine it's not there. It festers in our mind. Mm. We go to sleep, it festers in our mind. But if we simply say, okay, put down on a piece of paper, what is it I'm afraid of? Is it fear of pain? Is it fear of dying? Is it fear of isolation, a very important part of chronic illness? Is it a fear of uh, adopting, uh, I'll be tempted into risky behavior? Uh, excessive alcohol or overeating or whatever it is, you know, but what is the fear? Face it, eye to eyeball, put it down on a piece of paper just for yourself. Keep that private. Now you know what you have to, now you know what the enemy is. Mm-hmm. Once you know what the enemy is, you can deal with it. There isn't any enemy you can't deal with as long as you know who it is. Right. If you're trying to wander around, you know, uh, you have to confront it to defeat it. And then you can deal with change. Yeah. And you have a personal fear management plan. Now, this is something I haven't quite seen in this form. And uh, (laughs) it's called the Self-Help Fear Management Plan in your book here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. Can you kind of briefly give us a little overview of that? Uh, What page are you on? I'm on page 73. Okay, great. (laughs) My memory's not that good. Um, The self-help management plan is because I'm helping the the reader to go eyeball to eyeball with the fear that's a greatest concern in a very nice, easy way. Mm -hmm. It's going to help them take a look and work through it. You can do it with yourself or you can do it with the help of a caregiver or a friend. And, you know, I have to say what a friend is. A friend doesn't make judgments on what you're saying. The friend just accepts that you are what you are, so and in that way help you. Um, but you know, the, you know about how you begin. The objective is to get calm first, and I have some you know simple techniques that really work yeah. for calming a person down, so that you can then be ready to start working on these uh, 
things. And the, the sheets try to help you uh, grade uh, a fear. Uh, I have fear and versus intensity and, you know, uh, a scale so that you can get an idea of which one's really important, which one's, oh, oh yeah. You know, uh, I'm afraid of dark alleys, but that's not, you know, <laughs> it's a, a minimal fear. And then un- understanding your fear is very important. Uh, so I work your way through understanding where you are, your, your fears, uh, rethinking them in a positive way. Um, and this is one of the things that down the road is um, there's, a tech, there's a new area of psychology called positive psychology. Mm-hmm. And it's not about being happy. It's about using your positive attributes to develop a meaningful and fulfilling life. Because chronic illness is not a happy time. There will be times of frustration and pain, possibly, and others. But positive psychology is for normal people, not people who have schizophrenia or bipolar or, you know, a serious mental disease. This is for you and I. How do we get a more fulfilling life? And so that's where these worksheets are leading you down the road to get calm, deal with your fear, uh, have an action plan, and start working on it so that you can then be ready to use positive psychology. These are very good and very simple. We've been talking with Richard Chu, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes, one hour at a time. Thank you. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. We've had a great show today, and I want to thank Richard Chu, spelled C-H-E-U, for sharing his, uh, his knowledge with us and some basic tools on, on how to deal uh, and live well with chronic illness. And as with so many things, um, there's a spiritual component to all of this, and people are sometimes a little afraid to talk about that, but you have a a chapter and a significant part of the book which addresses emotional baggage and faith and I think I'd like for you to share a little bit with your listeners about uh, about those chapters. Sure. Um, emotional baggage is these negative emotions that are uh, released on the diagnosis. Uh, when someone receives a diagnosis of chronic illness, mm-hmm. uh, every patient goes through it. If you can deal with them, control them, and get rid of this excess baggage, you can move forward into a very meaningful and fulfilling life, such as uh, Randy Posh does in our life. Even though his remaining months were very short, it was very powerful what he could do. Everyone has that capability, and in the book, that's why I provide these very simple tools for moving forward and getting rid of that baggage. Until you get rid of the baggage, we can't deal with the spirituality aspect. We, right. It's like an onion. The first layer is the mental health, these, uh, getting rid of the negative emotions, using positive psychology. The second right. layer is adopting healthy lifestyle activities, how you eat, getting enough rest, exercise, don't do risky behavior things. Yeah. Uh, that's the second layer. And then the third layer, when everything's, those are taken care of, um, and they need not take a lot of time. They just need to be taken care of. We can deal with spirituality. And that very word, as you know, uh, gets some people, um, their, raises their hackles. Oh, um, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and I say to them, don't get mad. There are two flavors. Which would you like? You know, religious or secular. But uh, they both aim to do the same thing, a calm mind and a peaceful heart. It's very powerful, and your worksheet leads in to basically, uh, very simply put, um, being alone is not good for us, especially when we're dealing with these this emotional baggage, mm-hmm. uh, and it's mm-hmm. not healthy for us. So the opposing actions are to get into community, get with friends, to get with groups. And your worksheets, it's called My Plan to Increase My Connections. <laughs> Very good, simple stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, oh, that is one of the most, uh, the greater dangers of chronic illness. No one really likes to be around someone who's sick. If you just went skiing and you broke your ankle, everyone gathers around to uh, inscribe the, uh, the cast on your ankle. You're, you know. But when you're chronically ill, people don't want to see you. And what is it that they don't, what is it that you're reminding of? It's one thing, of course, uh, we tell the same thing over and over again, you know. But the other is, it reminds the listener, the visitor, of their own mortality. And that's an issue we don't want to deal with. 
spirituality allows you to deal with it, come to terms with it, and therefore not live a life of fear. Yeah. And and finally, the last, and we're going to get into another topic here, but the last worksheet is how to organize your story, which kind of takes me back to the beginning when you talked about Joan and Jack and active listening. Uh, and as the patient, your part of this, when the, you know your friends and the people concerned for you are listening, your part is to tell your story. And you have, this is really powerful, and I think it's appropriate it's the last piece, a little worksheet, little workbook on how to simply put your story together. Because you said earlier in the program, this is the first thing you need to do to begin this whole journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's kind of the last little worksheet. And do you have anything you want to share quickly about why you put that in there and, and the way that you put it in there? Because it, you, you're looking back not negatively at what you lost. You're looking back at what you have had that you enjoyed and you achieved. And that says to you, and then you begin to tell things about, oh, yeah, uh, I did this, I did that. And, and you can see the smile and the sparkle coming back in their eyes as they tell their story. Uh-huh. And, there's, and then when they have an active listener in front of them saying, I'm really interested in your story, um, it enlivens the patient. And then yeah. you say, well, that's really great. Have you thought of putting that down on paper or tape recording? Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. Um, then you say, you know, every single person in the world from the beginning of time uh, is unique. This is like your fingerprints. And your story is unique. So why don't you go out and buy a $15 tape recorder, a, a um, one-hour tape, and just put it down there? Mm-hmm. That can often open up them to saying, oh, yeah, now I want to tell you about this. I want to tell you about that. So it's, I pop the cork off the bottle of champagne, and that champagne is their story of their life. Yeah. And, you know, this is good stuff for everyone, but, we're, you know, we're in the context of living well with chronic illness. And... The, the topic I want to close with today, and before I go any farther, again, it's Richard Chu, C-H-E-U. The book is Living Well with Chronic Illness. The website is www.chroniclivingwell.com. You can get lots of information there, inquiries, uh, you know, where to buy the book. Richard is being sought after in a lot of different communities, academic, medical, and, and, and more, because of this new approach. And in your book, you talk about this perfect storm of health care, and I think it's very important we bring this up now, with the changes in health care with more and more people, uh, you know, 140 million Americans with chronic illness. We don't have the doctors to care for them. And I think you really provide a solution if we all could learn some of these little tools in the book. But tell me about this perfect storm and why you're concerned with it. Well, when I was putting the book together and someone asked me a question, what's going on? I said, well, you know, there's just not enough uh, doctors going around with Obamacare coming active in 2014. I said, what has happened? A perfect storm is when several major factors come together and they support, make something stronger. Okay, the first thing is seniors, those are, you know, 50 and over 65. Certainly at age 65, we call them seniors. Baby boomers are becoming seniors at the rate of 10,000 a day. 80% of them have at least one chronic illness. Half of them have two or more chronic illnesses. So we've got a chronic illness population that's just going to 
you know, increased rapidly over the last, since the last year because of the baby boomers. Then you have Obamacare bringing in uh, millions of people who've never had care, which is wonderful. But how are you going to treat them? Because we're already short today 15,000 primary care physicians. Yeah. You, you don't get as much money being a primary care physician as you do as a surgeon or a plastic surgeon. You know, so the, so we're short primary care physicians, and then the people who take care of chronic illness people or the home health aides, they get paid so little, people come in for the job only as long as they have to before they get on to something else. And the economy, you know, is starting to recover. So there are more jobs at these people. So you have a shortage of home health aides, you have a shortage of, of doctors, and you've got more patients than you've ever had before. And that means that the patient, anyone's chronically ill, needs to take responsibility for their own health care. If I could explain quickly what that means. Imagine you're the captain of a ship. You decide where the ship's going, but the crew gets you there. That's what the patient is. The patient's the captain. Everyone's helping them, gets them to the designation. But you have to tell them where you want to go. Yeah. Well, Richard, uh, we thank you very much. Uh, Those of us at Westbridge who sponsors this show in one hour at a time. Again, Richard Chu. Living Well with Chronic Illness, uh, you can contact his website, www. www.living, let's see, where is it? I, uh, it's uh, chroniclivingwell.com. Chronic well. mm-hmm. And Richard, thank you very much. We, uh, we appreciate your knowledge, and uh, we pray for some uh, power for you to carry this message. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Bye-bye. Bye. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.